This morning's, <clears throat> this morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in the first verse. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost arrived, the apostles were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from a heaven, from heaven a sound like a muddy rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Well, this is the final in our little mini-series, three weeks, talking about outreach before we get to Advent. Next Sunday is Advent. Um, so I, I, I guess I don't have to apologize for that. Christmas is coming quickly. So far, uh, we've looked at the Great Commission, and we considered as we looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, those were, the word all, all authority has been given to me, Jesus Christ said, And, of course, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We looked also at what the word disciples meant, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that God is the initiator of any and all good work. And uh, and also the words that Jesus reminded us that he would be with us through the Holy Spirit, even to the ends of the earth. That uh, as we look at outreach and evangelism, uh, we don't do this alone. That it it is always uh, in God's presence. Jesus' presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 1 and said that in a world where we have this to each his own kind of spirituality, Christian faith declares that we can know something about God. This is a faith declaration, but it's the strong declaration of the Christian faith that we can know God in Jesus Christ. So today, we look at Acts chapter 2, but we look at Acts chapter 2 not uh, often... At, Often when you talk about Acts chapter 2, of course, Pentecost, where the word Pentecostal comes from, the coming and power of the Holy Spirit. It's an important chapter, obviously, for that consideration. But we're looking at Acts chapter 2 to consider this uh, important concept of outreach. So the Holy Spirit and outreach. I'll begin by mentioning a stat that I read this week, uh, reading a blog of another pastor in Ontario, uh, one of these individuals that is just always kind of writing stuff. Seven things you need to know about this, or ten things you need to know about this. But in some of those uh, posts, there can be interesting information. And uh, he was talking about outreach at Christmas time, like you invite friends to Christmas services or to events at the church, whatever it might be. 
And uh, he said that he had a stat. I can't remember exactly where the stat comes from. I'm, I'm, I think what I know of this individual, he's very trustworthy, so I do trust the stat. Uh, and he's, this is Canadian context, so often we read stats and you know they're always American. But uh, th- this statistic in terms of outreach says that 82% of people, when they were asked if they would go to church if they were invited, 82% of people said, I would likely go. Now, that's Canadian, so would likely go doesn't mean they would go. They might just be nice, right? Nice Canadian answer. But 82% saying, I would likely go if I was personally invited, right? The rest of, the, of that comment, the, the other stat with that said, 2% of people ever invite people to church. So there's a disconnect there, right? And we are, I mean, maybe many of you have invited people to church or to events where they could hear about Jesus Christ. But that's an interesting, we often think, well, I can't because, you know, they'd be upset or whatever, or whatever it is. I was thinking of this as I, and I was reminded of a book that I read this past summer on, uh, on the bicycle. So I ride my bike a lot, and so I came across this book. I found it in a journal or something somewhere. It's called The Mechanical Horse, and it's the history of the bicycle. And it's one of these books that claims that the bike did everything. You know, the bike brought democracy, and the bike brought... a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's interesting history as well. And one of the things that it mentions is that early on, uh, as, as the bicycle was kind of becoming more popular with adults... Uh, and it's gone through various phases. Sometimes it's all kids riding and no adults ride. At other times in history, kids don't ride as much and adults are riding bikes more. We're probably in one of those times in Vancouver. Um, but it, they said early on, and one of the things it claimed credit for was exercise. So we wouldn't have the fitness kind of culture we have right now if it wasn't for the bike. Here's why. They said early on when people started riding bikes, there were warnings from doctors, medical people, saying don't exercise. This is what people thought. I don't know, you know, those in the medical community now. Uh, but back then, this is the late 1880s, the, the idea was if you exercise, some of you still kind of think this now. Well, anyway, but if you exercise, you're just, you've only got so much energy to give. And if you burn your energy, you're going to hurt your body. That was the scientific, a little bit of a scientific consensus. And so when people started riding bikes, doctors gave warnings saying, you're really going to, you know, you've only got so much energy to spend. Don't ride your bikes. This is a quote from one of those medical people. I've got it here. I'll read it out. Uh, Particularly for women, by the way, it always seems to focus on women. And if if you're a woman and you ride a bike, then you're probably going to be given to spells of fainting. Um, and listlessness, and maybe tuberculosis, heart disease. And, and, this, and the warning was, uh, I'm talking about 1880s. I'm not saying this, so don't get mad at me, okay? They were saying, women are generally more tired than men, and if you ride a bike, you're going to be more tired still. And then here's the quote. You see it up there. The exertion necessary to riding is productive to an excitation of nervous and physical energy that is anything but beneficial. If a halt is not called soon, 75% of cyclists will be an army of invalids in the next 10 years. I just like that. Anyway, my contention there is that we've kind of done the same thing with some of these important spiritual disciplines. And outreach might be one of the spiritual practices that we should be involved in that we kind of think, well, 
it's really going to hurt me in some way. It'll upset my friends. It'll be, so just ignore it. And it's not true, of course. Something like this, this idea that exercise is bad, was quickly proven to be not true. And there is a need in many churches, ours would be one of them, for renewal understanding that outreach is something that is good, not something that is going to get us into trouble, particularly as we seek to discern the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how are we to talk about outreach? This chapter, there's this big connection between outreach and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the question is, what is happening? There are two bookends to the chapter. It's a lengthy chapter, and you should read the whole thing. We just read a portion of it here, and we took out a middle section. Uh, But there are two bookends. There's the beginning of the chapter, where there is a group of people, followers of Jesus Christ, waiting. He told them in Luke, and Luke is is the, the author of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And at the end of Luke, Jesus tells some of his followers to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. So one of the bookends is them waiting in this room, and the Holy Spirit comes in power. There's an event, a supernatural manifestation. The end of the chapter, you can look at it, verses 42 to 47, there is the description of an entire community that raises up because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the act of outreach. And then it describes to you the nature of that community, what it looked like. The key is that in between those two bookends is this act of outreach, explanation, speaking of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And as I said, we're not going to outline a theology of the Holy Spirit in this sermon. But we should understand the, the importance of being open to the power of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, and then we can talk about what that might mean, what kind of gifts could be present, but certainly, as this chapter shows us, the Holy Spirit empowers outreach. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to the disciples and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See the connection between the presence of the Holy Spirit and witnessing to salvation in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place, and then a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and the room was filled with this sound, and then these like tongues of fire came upon each of these people, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other languages, other tongues. And there were people around, people saw this happening. And they heard the followers of Jesus Christ speaking in other languages. And some said, wow, this is incredible. What, what a powerful manifestation. And others said, it's the same today, by the way, if there's a powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit, however it might be. Other people, some people said, wow, and other people said, I think they're drunk. It's in the chapter. We didn't read that accusation part, but Peter, we did read Peter's response to it. And Peter, in verses 14 to 21, what he does after this is he goes to Scripture. He, he addresses the, the circumstance of, somewhat, of something of discomfort for some people. So he addresses what it is that has caught their attention, this manifestation of the Spirit. And he does so by going to Scripture. He says that, look, these kinds of things will happen when the Holy Spirit comes in power. But then look at the bulk of the chapter. This is what's important to us today. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. 
If you have your Bibles, you can look it up. He says, after he says, okay, I'll address what's happened here. And then he says, here's what we want to talk about. Hear these words, he says. And then the next words, Jesus of Nazareth. He's going to talk about Jesus. He's not going to advertise the powerful events as the things that matter most. He's going to say, the power that has come, has come for this purpose, that people would know Jesus Christ. He's going to speak about Jesus by going through history, talking even about King David. And all the way to verse, 20, to verse 41, it's the bulk of this chapter. It takes up the most space in the chapter. Even more than the supernatural events themselves. It includes people responding to his words by saying, what must we do? In other words, Peter speaks in a way that has outreach about it. He speaks about Jesus in a way that connects to people's lives so that their response is, what should we do about this? That's outreach. And then the other bookend that we mentioned briefly. You get from these people waiting in this room to verses 42 to 47, this entire community, many more people sharing and praising and worshiping God, and they were glad and generous and they had favor with the people, and God added to the number of their community. That's what happens in the chapter. So a few things to note about it in terms of outreach for us. Firstly, the big question. We've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating. The big question is not, not that, we, not that this is, is an altogether unimportant question, but it is in comparison to the big question. The big question is not who is saved. The big question, rather, is who saves? This is the heart of your Christian faith. And if your Christian faith becomes dominated by the question, who is saved, I I can tell you all of a sudden, right away, you're going to get more nervous. You're going to wonder all these things about who's in, who's out, right? Who is saved is always secondary to who saves, who does the saving. The outreach is focused on Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's turning towards humanity. Jesus is the one who brings redemption and rescue. In verse 39, it's mentioned, the promise is for you, for those who were far off. There's a connection who saves to the people that are hearing. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 10, puts it this way, reminds us that our personal salvation is part of a larger picture. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 7 to 10. In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to his riches and grace, which he lavished upon us. So see, right there I'm saying, you have personal salvation, you have forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't stop there. That's what's important. This is what's important to us when we think about outreach. He lavished this upon us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, God's plan of salvation is not for you alone, but it's to reconcile all things. And when you get the question, who saves, and you put alongside it the bigger consideration of what is God doing in the world, then your outreach isn't as troubled or, you know, nervous. You understand that one of the reasons you speak to that person, invite them to hear of Jesus Christ, is because you trust what Jesus Christ is doing for the whole of the world. 
So try this with me. If I say right now, just take the question, who is saved? Think about your own life, your own family. Who's saved? And right away, I can make you nervous, right? Particularly if you grew up with hard lines of division. I think so-and-so might not be saved. So-and-so is. Well, they prayed a prayer once. I guess they're saved. See how you get, can get nervous? Now let me put another question in there, that bigger question. Who does the saving? Now you can pray for your loved one. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different thing. Secondly, in terms of outreach, we said last week that we confess him. And to build on this, we confess him that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Verse 38, in response to what shall we do, Peter says, well, you should repent. That sounds scary. That sounds like a you know, street corner preacher with a big sign or something. It simply means, as you know, to turn. Turn from the way that you're living and the way that you're seeing the world. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Because baptism is a declaration of faith in him. Repent and be baptized and receive the forgiveness of sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple. What should we do? This is more than simply person to person who is acceptable and who is unacceptable. This is God doing a bigger work. So forgiveness of sins is something that's going to come up over and over and over again when talking about outreach and the plan of God for the world. Comes up in early in Luke with Zechariah's song. Zechariah, one of the first figures of Christmas, John the Baptist's dad, writes a song when he can finally talk again after he's been struck dumb for those months, remember, because he didn't believe that they would have the child. And he declares forgiveness of sins and he declares God's plan for the whole of history. At the end of Luke, you have the story of the followers of Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? And Jesus comes alongside them and they don't know that it's Jesus. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful biblical scene. Because Jesus is friendly. They are pleased with his company, right? They're a little bit disturbed when he asks, like, what are you, what's going on? And they're like, don't you know? Remember that? And, oh, yeah, he says. And then he starts explaining to them the things of Jesus Christ. And in his explanation, he says, Jesus was to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. That at this resurrection would be proclaimed repentance and forgiveness of sins for all nations. See how forgiveness of sins connects with something bigger? And then in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, after, in chapter 3, a lame man is healed. There's another sermon after that. Verse 19, you repent so that your sins may be forgiven. Chapter 5 again, the followers of Jesus Christ are asked to stop preaching. And they say, we can't and we won't. Chapter 5, verses 30, 31, 32. And they say, God raised up Jesus and he, he took the cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. In chapter 10, everyone believes, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. The question is, what does this mean? Is it only personal? It is personal that my sins are forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ. But it is also, in all of these contexts, national, that this comes from... Uh, personal salvation to a community to the important place of Israel the Jewish people in this and then it's global to all the nations to the ends of the earth 
you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, even to the whole world. If salvation is personal only, then we never get past the question dominating us who is saved. The big picture then, instead of salvation, becomes who's going to heaven only. Instead of the promised new creation, new heaven and new earth, we just start to ask who's in and who's out. So here's what happens in your life if you have that view. Then you make the mistake that following Jesus Christ becomes primarily about your choices, your morals, right? The Christian life becomes taken over by a moralized understanding because it's just about your personal salvation. When you understand that forgiveness of sins shows something that God is doing bigger than you, then instead of a moralized faith, you have a faith that is driven by vocation. See the difference? Instead of, what are all these little individual choices I'm making? Not that morals are unimportant, but vocation is bigger. How am I reflecting Christ's love in this world and reaching out to others? Bearing witness. At no level or time can we have to do with God without having to do with Christ. And then finally, the response. Lives are changed, but not only individual lives, entire communities. Receive the Holy Spirit. You receive forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. And then look what happens in verses 42 to 47. This is the end bit of the chapter. And then the people committed themselves, devoted themselves to teaching and learning. To the breaking of bread, to receiving communion, that means. To sharing communion together. They they devoted themselves to teaching, learning, the breaking of bread and prayer and there were accompanied with them signs and wonders. The bigger, the most important thing with that signs and wonders note is what comes next, what's included there, is that there was in the community a sense of awe, the presence of God. And they shared and they met together. This is what happened in the community when they saw the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus and then moved to consider outreach in their own lives. So for us, as I close and we move to communion, maybe it's been a while for you that you would consider what it means to reach out to others, just to speak about your faith, but then also maybe to invite somebody to something where they will hear of Jesus Christ. We've got a, a basic thing we're going to do through Advent. And I've even, I'm even going to put some sheets at the back so you can sign up. But it's a weird thing to sign up for because it doesn't mean that you have to show up to a bunch of meetings or anything like that. But I thought, no, I will put this out. I'm, I'm calling it the Advent Invite Challenge. And if you could put down your name and email and phone number, all you'll get from me is a reminder. I'm not going to be too annoying about it, I don't think. But I'll simply say, are you thinking about and praying about inviting people, sharing your faith? So if you want to do that after the service today, you can go to the back and just sign up and then think about who you might invite along friends or family. It could be to something like our dessert evening, right? Just to hear some real Christmas music. Simply invite and pray and pray for the opportunity to share your faith and ask God to bless you with the presence of the Holy Spirit as we saw in Acts chapter 2 for outreach. Let me pray. Now I'm going to pray for the communion. I'm also going to pray a couple of prayer requests that we have uh, received. One is for Wilma Maritovic, 
who's away um, because her mom died recently. We let you know that uh, last week. And so she's off in Croatia. So we're going to pray for Wilma. And the other is for Aaron Voth. Some of you know Aaron. He came down to family camp a year and a bit ago. And uh, so I don't know how old Aaron is, 15, 16, something like that. He's 17 maybe. He's come to youth group a number of times. Aaron had a major um, health crisis this week and wound up in Children's Hospital. And he's going to be there for over a month. And he needs a lot more surgery. Um, they said that if he had have showed up, if he had have gotten there 10 minutes later, well, he wouldn't have survived. And so that's what I'm going to be praying for. And I'll be praying for the communion. When we pass the communion out, this is the reminder. Some people call them emblems, the Eucharist, communion, right, sacraments. This bread and this cup, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we always say at Sutherland Church here, who can receive this? If you know Jesus Christ or you would like to, you're welcome to receive. You take the bread. We say, this bread is Jesus Christ's body broken for you. This cup represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And we receive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this word. That as Holy Spirit, you came in power on that day. That power was with this purpose that people would know of the love and forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you renew us for outreach in this place? We ask this, Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct in this. We thank you. We bring before you these people that we have been asked to pray for. We pray for Wilma as she has traveled. I think she just left last Monday, we pray uh, that you will be with her in her time with her family. Bless her and her brothers. And uh, we thank you for her mom's life. And we pray uh, that they would have a good remembrance. We pray for Wilma as she hasn't been able to go for as long as she would like to go either. That she would feel strengthened as she returns. And we pray for Aaron Voth right now in hospital that you would protect his life. And bless the doctors as they have uh, these other surgeries to do now. We ask Heavenly Father that you would uh, return him to full health and strength. That he would know healing. We pray for him now. And then we pray for this communion as we receive it. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to what we are doing in this. That we are declaring our trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. That we are saying that we receive forgiveness of sin. And that we are declaring, Lord Jesus Christ, your death until you come again. Your salvation in this world. So bless the bread and the cup as we receive it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just can come forward.